You're now listening to the Garage Guys Fantasy Sports Podcast. Episode 159 of the Garage Guys Fantasy Sports Podcast. 159 is brought to you by Drip Drop and Drip Drop ORS. It was invented to treat dehydration in the most challenging circumstances. Because dehydration has a profound effect on your health, mood, and your performance. Isn't that right, Drew? It's right. It's it. That's right. Look, this stuff is used by top hospitals across the country. Okay, it's safe enough for everyday use and powerful enough to help battle dehydration in the most challenging circumstances. It's used by athletes, firefighters, military members, nurses, patients in hospitals, people, human beings. You can probably give it to your dog. You can literally do anything and everything with drip drop and it's the best hydration solution or dehydration solution out there on the market right now and you can get some for yourself by going to dripdrop.com and using promo code garageguys20 at checkout didn't you say it's also a, an amazing power cleanser as well it is a, a power cleanser we actually drank some drip drop this morning over here at the at the residence after some uh some beer drinking last night so the, the drip drop was used there we go we're using drop drip everywhere at all times um couple things we're going to do on this episode. So we're about to get into 160. 160 will be at the end of the week. And NASCAR is coming back next week. So that means me and you are about to be busy boys over at Busy boys. Very busy. Um, We're going to have two Cup Series races a week. So it's going to be two videos a week. Um, We're going to have two articles on my end rankings on your end sean and and scott we even had to bring on a uh, a new member to the uh rotoballer team to cover some xfinity and truck series races so it's about to be uh liddy liddy over there at rotoballer and you can also get over there right now use promo code garage and you're going to save 10 percent on your subscription to the nascar dfs premium tools we even have an optimizer over there so you have no uh, reason not to do it. If you want to win money and bag tourneys, you do it with Rotoballer. You do it with the Garage Guys. And that's how you do it. The end. The end of advertisements. We're, I'm ready for some of that natural, some of that natural NASCAR DFS is what I'm ready for. Oh yeah, yeah, that real stuff. So that that leads me to my next topic of conversation. And um, before we do get to that, uh, this show is going to be heavily influenced by Westworld and The Last Dance. So. I'm just going to go ahead and let you guys know right now, me and Drew would like to just formally let you know that we're talking TV for the majority of this podcast. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit of DFS in the beginning and very little because it was an absolute shit show. And then the real DFS and the real DraftKings and FanDuel and Fantasy NASCAR talk, that's all coming back very soon. So if you're a Westworld fan and a Last Dance fan, you've come to the right place at episode 159. Or just a fan that likes to hear us talk about random topics. You or if stick you just, around. Yeah, that or if you know if you're a girl and you just like to touch yourself to our voices. That's what <laughs> we're here for. And, and if you're a guy too, we don't discriminate. Just don't bring that shit over here, pal. All right. So 
Let's go ahead and kick this off with this race, this I race that we had on Sunday at Dover. This was the most shit show I race I've ever watched, and I've got some bones to pick. And I want to go ahead and just get your take on this because I know you were watching some of it as well. Just the the caution count is really all I have to say in summary. I mean, I feel like every five laps we were in caution, so just not a very uh, entertaining race for me. Didn't really play as much. I've dialed back the volume on uh, dollar signs wagered just because it's eye racing. So seems like you have some more opinions, but mine's kind of summarized by caution. Caution's out. Yeah, like our new podcast with Garage Guys at Randy the Plumber. Right. We, we, we should get him to talk about that. We should get him to yell about eye racing for like an, an, a solid like 30 minutes. Like I'm talking full on stress test. Sounds like, like you have some ammo for him, so let's let's hear it. I do. So, um, if you don't follow a lot of NASCAR drivers on Twitter, even the Twitter drivers were just pissed. Um, we had, like you said, the amount of cautions were absurd. We I mean, literally did we hit had ten. Do you think at least ten? Ten to thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. We were over ten. That's what matters. Um, and if we weren't, it felt like it. Because I literally got to a point to where I turned the race off. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I turned it off. I was like, Feels I was like, bad. fuck this. I, was like, I can't watch this anymore. Um, and then I just remembered like, Oh, Hey, real NASCAR comes back. Thank God. Um, so yeah, I started this race off. I spent more money on any other race this weekend than I have since the whole iRacing thing started. And I won a dollar, a dollar, a dollar back or a, a dollar profit, a dollar. Okay. So you lost all your entries. I lost everything but a yeah, dollar. It happens. Gained a, gained a dollar. Okay. I went very heavy on select drivers. Um, said drivers were big parts of the cautions. Um, Did you have some Ryan Priest who dropped back at the very end? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely had a lot of Ryan Priest. Had some Corey LaJoy, too, um, who also was scored from the fifth position after every media outlet known to man said that he was going to be scored from the rear and start at the rear. So that happened, too. Uh, he screwed little, you there by running a qualifying lap. He was supposed to not run one. Yeah, little, uh, that, that was a little, uh, little, little, little surprise from, uh, from the iRacing servers. That just goes to show you how ill set up this stuff is because I had nothing but great things to say about it, you know, for the first few weeks, and then I started kind of noticing little things that happened when they, helped, they started this whole inversion thing and stuff. They started all these new rules, like – at Talladega, they said that the top team was supposed to be inverted, so I made a couple of picks based off that inversion, and then they didn't even invert the pack. So, yeah, and then this week they did invert the pack. Right, exactly. And then the whole Corey LaJoy thing happened where he gets scored from the rear. He ends up basically wanting to quit the race. John Hunter Nemechek is trying to purposely wreck Denny Hamlin. He ends up getting kicked out of the race. There was just so much carnage and chaos. that it's like, like the lottery. Yeah, it literally was. It literally was. And I've said that. You know, we talked about how Talladega was going to be that, and then when the whole inversion thing happened, it was. So I'm like, okay, they can't possibly let something like this happen again. I was like, so they kind of learned from this, especially if they're doing this on DraftKings and FanDuel. They're not going to let stuff like this happen again. But, no, they did. And it was literally the lottery. So I came out very quickly after that race was over on Twitter and announced that this would be my last week covering iRacing. I won't be covering, even though they're doing a race on Saturday at three o'clock, um, it's going to be a badass, uh, the badass retro track, uh, North, North Wilkesboro um, racetrack in, uh, in North Carolina. Is it going to sucker you back in or no? 
no hell no no it's purely for entertainment purposes like i will not be betting any money or putting any money or writing an article on it for that like it's just it won't happen the only things we will be doing from this moment forward with iRacing is watching it for fun and trying to be competitive in the Ursco racing series where we have two cars driven by Kenny and Kyle Lowry who actually finished the Charlotte Roval tonight. Um, Kyle finished in P6 and Kenny finished P12. So we got a top 10. Um, Kyle was uh, streaming with Lugnut Hub on Twitch. So that's pretty cool to see. So we got a top 10 at the Roval. That's a pretty tough track especially on iRacing. So most of these guys have been iRacing so long that there's not near as many cautions. Right, exactly. The Erska Racing Series is really good. And if you guys haven't got to check it out yet, I highly suggest it. Um, we always stream on Monday nights, like Lugnut's Hub Twitch channel. Um, our guy Lugnut that's on there um, does an awesome job spotting for our drivers, Kenny and Kyle. We alternate between the two. Um, so it's been really cool and just been a really cool addition to garage guys kind of getting into this side of things when it comes to racing. It's almost like, you know, we play fantasy NASCAR, but it's actually, you know, like, like I, you know, you got a little bit of pride in you. You're like, I own a, I own a virtual reality car. Like, look at us. Like we own a virtual race team. Always looks crisp out there too. Always oh, look sharp. T two of the sexiest cars on the track by far, hands down. I don't care what anyone says um but yeah that's all we're gonna be doing with our racing from here on out we'll have garage guys racing we'll be doing our little events on mondays when they race in the erska league and um yeah i'm hanging up my uh i feel compelled i feel compelled to say that since day one i've kind of had this stance and I feel like uh, this is somewhat of a i told you so moment yeah when it comes to the to the dfs side of it, it you definitely get to rub that in my face <laughs> um but I've played. It's not like I'm – I mean, I obviously didn't stick to my guns too much, but mine's more of like I'm just doing it. It's a different whole game to me. So I'm not treating it like I do every week where you, you know, I have like my ritual, my routine. I go through and I put hours and hours into it. I'm not doing that for this stuff. So it's just its own little fun entertainment for me. Um, but, no, I get your frustration, especially when people are like quitting the server and trying to wreck people. It's like, okay – uh, probably should have never had its place in DFS if that's how it's going to be. Right, exactly. Internet issues, like didn't somebody have internet issues last last week? Yeah, but see, that's just one of those things that like I kind of knew right off the bat that like these are some things you have to expect. Like remember we were saying like looks like oh, yeah. Eric Jones has bad internet issues, so maybe we don't want to start him because he doesn't like we need to remember we need to get a list of uh, a list of their internet providers. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We need to, this needs to be public information. Yeah. It's still a frustration though, right? I mean, it is. Your, your list of frustrations is what I'm talking about. It just keeps, it feel like it keeps growing of like things that could, you know, like in real racing, the thing that makes me the most mad of Ty Dillon's route, you know, riding around and somebody there's like debris that somebody like right in front of them let off their car and then he hits it and it ends his day. Like that is like the worst case scenario. Whereas with iRacing, there seems to be like five or six scenarios that are the worst case. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I can see that. And I guess like for me, it was, you know, I was definitely writing about it, you know, with the esports stuff on Rotoballer, and it was more of just like, okay, well, this is really all we have right now. This is the closest thing to racing. I want to try to take it as seriously as I can, and maybe, you know, we can find a groove and find a way to make it work. You know, I, I did research. I, I got an iRacing subscription so that I could, you know, watch these guys and see how they were running, and it is frustrating because not all of them have public profiles where you can see what they're doing and what they're running, so I kind of had limited 
resources. And I think that it was like right after Talladega is when I kind of understood that like, you know, well, I'm sure that, you know, we're, we're finally getting to a point to where we can actually see racing coming back and this won't be this way forever, but it's just, if this was going to be long-term for, for DFS purposes or, you know, gambling or whatever, you definitely have to have more information than there is currently to do it with. So it's just uh, at the end of the day, it's good to see real racing coming back. And, um, and we're going to be discussing a lot of that going into next week. And like I said, most of that content you'll be able to get at Roto Baller. And we'll be talking about it right here on Garage Guys Fantasy Sports Podcast. All right. So transitioning to the out of the NASCAR world, into the basketball world, into the Michael Jordan world. I wanted to get into the the last dance before we before we talk about Westworld. Are you cool with a little last dance chat? I want to dance with you right you now you about the last. Somebody? You want to you want to dance? You want to dance, Buster Brown? You want uh, to? I think it's I think it's ironic that you're starting this conversation by saying that because my first bullet point here that I wrote down on my phone was yeah. Chase is going to love the culture shoe conversation that took place early in episode five where they were talking about. Converse, Adidas, and just the culture that surrounded Michael Jordan and how it intertwined with Spike Lee and all that. So you know me so well. (laughs) You You loved it, didn't you? Oh my god, dude! Like, like, look. So the first and second episode of this, obviously, like I was just kind of getting into it. We've already discussed, you know, you know, the last few episodes where there wasn't a whole lot that I knew about it. But the more that the show has progressed each week, like the more I've gotten deeper into it and I'm really like coming around to the whole aspect of, of watching this documentary and, and learning about basketball itself. But yeah, it just seems like with episodes three and four, we did a lot of Rodman stuff. And then now we're into this whole culture. It's just like, it's like we're right in the thick of chase world with sports. So I'm digging it. Um, there was so much culture. Like I, I will go online looking for like team USA gear from the nineties, like all the time. Like I love that stuff. Like there's nothing like more patriotic to me than like team USA gear from the dream team. You know, what was funny and this is skipping too far ahead, but um, I'm glad you brought that up because Jordan being a competitor and just being a savage that he is, it was crazy how he covered up the Reebok logo. He was thinking business all the time, like all the time. I was so intrigued to, to like see how he was going to do that. Cause like, I'm like, this dude's not, cause I, I didn't really remember that when I was a kid and like the way he did it, like no one paid any attention. Nobody would ever pay attention to it. So yeah, we definitely will get into that. But, but dude, you got to start off like this episode, like kind of like with the first few minutes and the emotions that were brought up um, with Kobe making an appearance, them going right into the 1998 All-Star game and getting to see Kobe and then us getting to actually see Kobe talk about it. Like, it's the only time we saw him. I mean, like, what kind of emotions as a hardcore basketball fan your whole life? I mean, I know that had to be uh, – it had to be, like, really uh, – Gut-wrenching. Yeah, like, the yeah. difficult reminder. You know? Yeah, I mean, especially for someone like, you know, like me that's studied – that era of the game and that transition. And, you know, I've always said people compare Jordan and we, I mean, we, we've even talked about it on the past episodes here on garage guys, but you know, like I've always compared Kobe to Jordan and and Jordan to Kobe, not LeBron just, and it's no, it's no disrespect to LeBron. It's just, they're cut from the same cloth, Kobe and, and Jordan. And this episode kind of hinted at that both, both with the interview and 
you know, the, the current interview or most recent interview and then um, the scenes from 98, you know, reinforce that. So it's very, very cool. Um, Maybe miss Kobe for sure. Just would have loved to, to, to honestly get that segment a little bit more extended now that he's gone. Uh, but just awesome to see them exchange those, uh, the trash talk, man, even in the all-star game, but also, you know, Jordan's part about telling him to come back for any advice was, was very cool. Yeah. And like people didn't even know, like supposedly they had like a really good relationship that was under wraps for so long, but he, you know, Kobe even comes out and says that the thing that hit me the, the most was, you know, and th- this all stemmed, you know, I never really understood the comparisons between Kobe and MJ because I never really watched a whole lot of it. You know, like there was there was me like growing up, like knowing Shaq. And so I got to watch, you know, a couple's finals as a kid that I can barely remember now. But like even like back then, like still to me, like Michael Jordan was just great because that's what I was told. And that's what I knew, you know, after watching certain movies and stuff. And like I said, I liked Rodman for more of who he was as a cultural person. But Kobe was another one of those players that like I never really just paid much attention to. And and like it, it's it's weird that I didn't because it seems like he was you know he's what everyone paid attention to especially people that were huge into basketball. But I watched a video earlier this week that I had never seen before, and you know I've talked to a lot of people now that said the video has been out for a long time, including you. Of the video of of them showing some highlights from Michael Jordan, and then they would quickly flash and transition to Kobe. They were like literally the same per- person, dude, on the court. It was insane. Yeah, the footwork, the footwork and the, the jumper, the jump shot, identical. And then also people you hear on Twitter or even in just talking to people, you hear about the Mamba mentality, which is Kobe, you know, black Mamba mentality, just like the, the, the cutthroat when, when at all costs, like all that is coming from Jordan, straight yeah. from Jordan. That's just Michael Jordan's philosophy of the game. That's all it is. He says it himself. And he says, you know, I hate it when people bring up the one-on-one stuff. You know, people say, oh, you could beat Mike in one-on-one. He said, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, there would be no five championships. There would be none of that. He was like, because he literally was everything. I mean, that's like, you know, it's like a, a player coming up. You know, we've yet to really see it. But, you know, like a quarterback that might be able to say the same about Tom Brady one day, you know. So, like, it's just watching greatness. And, like, when you really – it really made me take a step back and understand that so many players come into the NBA and that's what's on their mind. I got to be like Mike. I got to be like Michael Jordan. Like that's, that's what kids grow up wanting to be. And now you got these kids like LeBron, of course, but like, I really think that the more people that watch this documentary are starting to really understand that Michael Jordan and LeBron James are in a completely different dimension. They are. Um, and I'm not even talking basketball-wise. It's just personality-wise for me because I do think LeBron in his own way. I've already said in previous podcasts, LeBron's more of a point guard uh, mentality guy and not, you know, a scorer. But um, the last point I wanted to make on the Kobe-MJ comparisons, I don't know if you caught this, but there were even more parallels unintentionally later in the episode or maybe even episode six when they were referring to Michael Jordan's weaknesses like basically that he wasn't the best locker room guy. There was times where he didn't want, you know, players to receive the ball, didn't want to pass to him, and he would push players too far. Like, all that stuff was brought up. Well, guess what? That's, like, the one thing Kobe Bryant was exactly. was hated for. So, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so funny to me that, that there's so many parallels, and I don't even think that one was really called or, or mentioned at the time. But 
it um was very cool and i'm glad that more people are getting to see it yeah dude for sure just to follow up on what you said there too like that is the one thing that i have noticed more about like i'm sure we're gonna get a kobe documentary at some point they're gonna have to have a 30 for 30 something's gonna be made um you know, and, and we're going to really get to dig more into that. But yeah, the more I look into it, the more I start to realize how scary it is that they are so similar. But um, coming into the whole Nike deal part of it, I had no idea, like, for one, Converse and Adidas both have to be so, like, mad at themselves. Especially Converse. Because, like, they just they, were yeah. like, fuck you. <laughs> Because they had the do- – I mean, they were dominating the market at the time, so they really have to be, like, pissed at themselves. All they had to do was sign Jordan, basically, and who knows what happens. Oh, my God, dude. Converse would be Ni- – dude, Michael Jordan made Nike. He made Nike. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about that. There is no argument in my mind whatsoever. After watching this and, and understanding what this is, he made that brand. With no Michael Jordan, Nike would never be what it is today. Yeah, and wasn't it? And furthermore, to your point, not only did Jordan make Nike, but whoever pitched the idea, the agent they referenced, I can't remember his name, he is like a genius in this because he's the one that pitched the idea of, hey, we're going to market this like a golf or tennis player where the player is bigger than the team or the, or the, or the player is more marketable than the team. So right. that guy, in a sense, Nike owes that guy a bunch of money. You know, they like <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Michael's paid him under the table at some point, or maybe maybe he won enough bets against MJ. Can't wait to talk about that shit. Um, oh yeah. But uh but yeah, dude, like, you know, because he he Michael wanted Adidas. Like that was his thing. But like like you're talking about the way that they marketed, like I didn't even realize that growing up, like that that was more of a boxer thing or a tennis player thing. Like, and you're like, holy shit. Like he was like one of the first athletes that really got this kind of treatment because even with Converse, it was like a group. Like you had like Larry and magic and all of them together. Like, no, like he was like the standalone guy. And like, without that type of concept sports and, and marketability, as far as brands and stuff that would not exist today. Like he pioneered so much shit. Like it was just mind blowing to me. Um, and then the, uh, the, the shoes themselves, the, the one part about it was like uh, it, it went because we all know this is the West world of basketball documentaries. Um, so it went from like him wearing that shoe and then it went back to the, you know, the, the future, wherever it was like, I think it was his last game in Madison Square Garden as a bull. He wanted to wear the ones and he was talking about how when he got off the court, like he was just so ready to get to the locker room. And he pulled his shoe off, and his feet were like bleeding. Yeah, but he was playing so well, like he couldn't take them off mid-game, right? That was the story. Like, yeah, have, he could have taken them off at halftime, but he already had like forty points or something, something ridiculous. I can't remember. But right. It such a just, such a cool thing, though. Cause, like, I don't think players today would ever wear a shoe that's ten years old. <laughs> no, like that's 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 what's wild to me about it. Like, and because he was talking about the comparison between like the way that the shoes were in the late nineties as compared to this, and but he did that. Like that was just kind of like an ode to himself, you know, like doing that. So I thought that, that was pretty cool. But I mean, we all knew by that point that Michael was just one of those kind of guys, you know. Um, uh, do you, do you think Tom Brady would is going to wear the first cleats he ever put on when he plays in his uh, his last game? I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. Probably honestly. not. But I don't think cleat, he has a shoe deal. I feel like cleat comfort in his time frame is probably completely different than – I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know where I was going there. But 2000, cleat comfort 
We need yeah. to grade this. I feel, like, I feel like basketball shoes from the 80s to 90s would be a larger jump than, than cleats from 2000 to 2021. All right. So four years from now, when you're sitting down with Tom Brady um, at a lunch, just ask him. Okay. All right, cool. I'll write we'll that mark, down. Put that in your calendar. I, I think I think I'm going to be busy that day, but I'll um, I'll let you know. I think I okay. have a packed schedule. You might have to cancel or move some things around. It's it's possible. It's going to be tough. It's a it's, it's a tough week four years from now. So yeah, I'll let you know though. Um, but <laughs> go in. <laughs> that was a hot, wet, hot American summer jokes. If you don't know what that is. Um, from there, though, uh, the other big highlight of the show was the, the whole Dream Team deal. And this is where more of the culture stuff comes in. So there's this one scene where they get to Barcelona. And you just see Michael Jordan walking into uh, – there's a field there. It's, I guess one of the soccer fields there or whatever. It's where they were doing some Olympic stuff. This guy rolls up. And I'm getting the picture pulled up on my phone right now because I just want to describe it for what it is. It's one of the most epic outfits of all time. Dude rolls up wearing the shorts and the T-shirt. They're both the same print, just this red, yellow, purple squiggles all over print. Um, he's got the gold chain. He's got the white sneakers. And, like, he's just, like, the only dude walking out there by himself. And he's got the earring in. The, the jump man hat on, which, by the way, is one of the most fire hats known to man. The dude looked like he just, like, walked out of a scene from the movie House Party. And if you've never watched House Party from the 90s, you need to do that, like, right now. Pretty sure that they made the character Gerald on Hey Arnold, the hairdo from him, after one of the main characters from House Party. This outfit is the most fire fit I've ever seen Jordan in in my entire life. And that's the second part that I had figured you uh, wanted to talk about besides the shoes and the, uh, the culture stuff. I figured that that scene would, would catch your attention. I thought it was a, a unique outfit, but it didn't you know, move the needle for me. It was interesting to say the least. But, it was a garage guy needle mover. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember thinking to myself, like, he's going to remember this scene. So here we are. I called the first one, but the second one, you kind of you, you got to it before I did. So snazzy to you. I knew I knew you knew that much, but but I know the one scene that that you were probably it, was, it wasn't long after this that they were getting more into like the real nitty gritty basketball stuff because this was one scene that I watched where I I was like watching this and knew that like okay Drew's gonna like definitely like have a lot to say about this because not only do you have the best basketball players in the world overseas going to play a basketball game against other teams from other countries, which is arguably like the greatest team of all time uh, ever formed uh, by America. And they have this practice in Monte Carlo. And I know Charles Barkley's there, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, like all these just icons of the game. And they play, have one of the most heated practices and Magic's talking all this shit. Charles Barkley's talking all this shit to Michael. And then I think it was Magic said to him, he said, you, he's like something about you better turn that air man on you, that real fast. You know, you better turn that, that air Jordan better come on quick. And that's the moment that Magic realized he fucked up. Yeah, this was uh, awesome. And I'm so glad that the I, I knew the documentary wouldn't skip over this. And, um, 
I was worried they would skip over the gambling stuff, but uh, I knew they wouldn't skip this. And it was just uh, cool to relive. I've seen bits and pieces of it, maybe not all of that. Um, but what would you pay? I was thinking about this. I saw, I might have saw a tweet about it. Like, what would you pay to get the full game? The full, like, every, like, if you could get the whole audio clip of that entire, like, practice session, I bet it was epic. Um, I mean, I'd probably, like, if, if that was available to me and, like, I was like, somebody was like, hey, you would be the only person that owns the, this footage <laughs> other than the players, like, in America. Then, I mean, I think my highest price I would have to pay for that would probably be somewhere north of a grand. Yeah, I'd pay, I'd pay a pretty penny just because I, I think that – and I've heard Charles Barkley in interviews say and other players say that, you know, obviously they were just beating teams by 30 and 40, but nothing was more epic than those, like, practice games and scrimmages, that that was literally, like, what defined – the their time there outside of the all the culture stuff and getting to travel but it's just wild that your like your practice scrimmages were more intense than the games because that's how much better the team was than the rest of the, the competitors right and that's and not only that but like following up from like when magic said what he said and then you just you we see the clips of like michael just going off like doing shit that like no basketball player today would probably ever do like literally just just risking it all over a practice match just to be like fuck you pay me like i win <laughs> like that's it like that's all it's for and then and then he made the remark like the the one moment where like you realize like how heated it is he was like magic was saying some shit to him and jordan was like well it is the 90s well it is the 90s like calling these motherfuckers like old or slow or like can't keep up like it's the 90s and it talks about like that's when it was like they all got on the bus they were kind of pissed and then that's when like magic looked at charles and was like i think he told him he was like well i guess we shouldn't have pissed off michael jordan or that was a well, lesson is don't piss off michael and everybody starts laughing and that was like the moment they realized like shit like the game has changed like yeah we're, we're in a new age now i couldn't get over the part where at the beginning where magic johnson was basically saying like you're not in chicago anymore getting like the home <laughs> the home whistle you know like saying like the referees basically are are cheating for him at, at right. home. and then next thing you know like he's just doing the same stuff he did in, in chicago so that was yeah. cool man it's awesome uh, yeah there's no off button i didn't know magic was a trash talker i kind of expected that from charles barkley but not necessarily magic johnson they yeah they like they, they depicted charles to be like so quiet Really, like, the, the most shit that he taught was, like, episode six. So, I think, like, whenever they won game uh, – was it game six or, or, no, game five or something like that? And he was, like, where they had boarded all, like, the windows and shit up. And then he – I think he said, uh, I, I, go ahead and take that shit off y'all's windows. And yeah. they had to go back for game six. And <sighs> like, that's Man. the most shit I heard him talk. It's a shame that – Barkley played when he did when Chuck played just because like he was so overshadowed there were so many great players in that era most notably Michael Jordan obviously but he kind of is underappreciated like I highly recommend if you're listening to this go look up Charles Barkley's Phoenix Suns highlights and it will blow your mind like he was doing stuff like LeBron does like where you rebound and you're six foot you know you're a big guy you get the rebound and you dribble all the way up the court and you're, you're playing point guard essentially and you're dunking you're passing you're shooting he was doing that stuff way back then and just like go watch his highlights and you will not understand. Like, it'll blow your mind based on, you know, you see him in the media now and he's just kind of this overweight, uh, looks slow, but he literally was so athletic. So, uh, yeah. 
I want the the Chuck documentary too. I want that documentary. Yeah, I, I definitely want to check it out. Like, and and it's funny you bring that up too because like he's also one of those people that like I never really knew. Like he was just another dude from Space Jam to me as a kid. And obviously, you know, they picked some really good players for the Monstars is still a talent for him to be one of them because just the little clips that I got to see off of the Last Dance, I'm like, damn, like. This yeah. dude, this dude, he got silly. MVP, MVP in '93. Yeah, and it pissed off Michael so bad that he was like, he's like, well, you got this, so I'm gonna get this. <laughs> it was just like, and that pissed him off so bad. But dude, like that, that's the more I watch it, the more I realize that there were so many great players in this era, so many great NBA players. And Shaq still rags on Charles Barkley all the time for not winning a championship, and it's like, oh my God. dude, he was so close, and he's like, there's no shame in losing to Michael Jordan. I think he says that on the documentary. Yeah, he was like, but losing to Bill, but losing to Paxson, like, <laughs> like getting, yeah. getting a three shot on him, bro. Like, dude, I'd have been pissed too, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd have been so pissed. But um, but, what a clutch dude, shot, by the way. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah, dude. He was. He wasn't even expecting that shit. Yeah. That's what's even crazier about it. So, like I said, just learning so much about this team in this era has been fucking phenomenal. Um, the one thing that we didn't talk about, though, with the Dream Team was the fact that Isaiah Thomas was basically blackballed. And the hate that Michael Jordan has for, for Isaiah Thomas, like, is unmatched, like, to this day. Like, he has respect for his game, but just does not respect him as a person. And according to Mike, it wasn't all just him because, like, obviously Magic and Larry and all of them kind of turned on on Isaiah Thomas. So Yeah, I think this is directly related to the, the, the type of play and the go-at-anybody mindset. Like, I don't think Isaiah Thomas stayed in his lane in terms of respect. And I actually – makes me like Isaiah Thomas, honestly, um, a little bit more because I don't think he backed down ever on the court to anybody, even if it was Jordan. I will say this, like him being the type of player that he was, that could have brought that negative cloud with them overseas to play, you know, for the USA. And it kind of, that's kind of the way that, that MJ depicts it is like, you know, we just didn't want to deal with that. Like we didn't want to, cause like he got along with everybody that was on the team with him. So yep. he didn't really want to deal with that. And like, I really think it just all goes back to that one moment where he didn't give him his respect for beating him i think yeah. that has a lot to do with it like i, I like that was what, the last piece i think there was build up but that was it that was like the last straw in jordan like all right he's x him out forever he, yeah he wrote him off like if he would have shook hands with him i think that we would have saw something different because like that's all jordan the more i i study mike the more i realize is that he just he he knows who he is and he thinks he is the god of basketball and he has that mentality and he very well has earned that title, but he wants to make sure that everyone else knows it too. And that a lot of that stems from how he grew up, you know, his dad. And, and we learned a lot about that too in the beginning about how he always competed with his brother. And, you know, that, that, that kind of shit right there does create a mindset for somebody where it's like they don't feel good enough. So like, and then most people that are in those kind of situations just shrivel up and they believe that the rest of their life where as Mike said, no, fuck that. Like watch me be the greatest son that you've ever seen or had. And then, then he just took that, that uh, energy and just portrayed it to the world. So uh, yeah, I think that he has a lot of that in him and that's where a lot of that comes from. So if you don't like him, he's just like, you know, fuck you. Like I'll make sure that you suffer 
for everything that you try to do that your career that I can have some kind of control over. Like, and that's what that shows me. Yeah. I don't know if I, if I fully back that, um, a little bit different than you on that. I just don't know if his, if that's, if he's, his intent is that like, I don't think he's vengeful person. I think he's more of like, I'm just going to take it out on the court and I'm going to get you back kind of guy. Him showing that type of frustration for Isaiah Thomas 100% shows me that he definitely has like vengeance. I, I believe there's a grudge there, but I don't think we know enough to make like, that was the only act of vengeance we've seen or portrayed vengeance, right? Is it, is it maybe, is, is the alarm that's going off in the back, that's the Michael Jordan, like you're wrong alarm? Like you have an alarm every time I say something bad about MJ now? That's probably what that is. I just noticed that. <laughs> it was like, it's like Chase it was is talking so that shit. Chase was talking that shit about MJ. Yeah, it's got my back. My phone has my back. Fuck. I guess I can't argue with that. So I do. I guess well, somebody I, has my back on this podcast. I'll take the battle because it's really hard to like. The, and plus that tone right there, that ringtone, like that's something that you can't argue with because that's just like in your face. Like fuck you, I'm gonna yell at you until you get out of bed, and it can be used for so many other things in life. So I'm just trying to figure out how a 10:30 alarm is set on my phone right now. I'm trying to think. Oh, last night I set a 10:30 alarm, but it didn't go off. Maybe I set it for today. Because I was trying to get up at 10.30 to move stuff out of my fridge because it lost power. Okay, enough of that. That makes sense. Moving that on. makes sense. That is good. That, that's good practices, though. And we have to yeah. commend you for that. So yep. we thank you, Alarm, for having his back on me trying to say that Michael Jordan is a grudge holder. Yeah, thank we'll leave you, it man. at that. Uh, Tony Kukoc uh, that they played against. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, you got it. Little, little Tony. Okay, so how Jerry, how Jerry Krause like wanted Tony so bad, and like the same kind of thing happened whenever they went over and um, were playing against Drexler for the finals. Like how he any any time that like Jerry Krause like said that somebody's great or going to be good, like him and Scotty basically teamed up on him at the Olympics to show that, like, this motherfucker ain't shit, and if anybody's going to get paid to play for the Bulls, it needs to be Scotty. And then you got, like, Drexler in the finals uh, where they were comparing him and MJ, and he's like, uh-uh. And he told Magic Johnson at a poker game, was basically just like, I'm going to make a fool of this dude, and just, like, shot threes the entire, like, first game. Like, just set records. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I didn't have that in my notes, but it was a, a cool part of the episode. Cause, um, Tony uh, coach was so coveted by that Krause guy. And I don't even know why. Like, your current team was winning championships. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like he was over-fascinated with, like, the next era, like trying to move those guys out. And I'm like, right. you do realize it was, like, the most dominant team. Uh one of the most dominant teams in NBA history. Just is a very weird story, but I do think it was cool that Jordan, after the second game, had a couple comments that was like, you know, hold up, this guy did play better and probably has a career. He's just – dude was pretty young, and it's funny that, you know, they ended up being on the Bulls roster later. So, um, I like that Jordan, like, as much as they, you know, put the – like, hit the gas and, and you know, pedal to the metal on – humiliating the guy he then actually threw a couple words of kindness there towards the end i thought that was kind of cool 
Yeah, MJ is always going to respect someone for their game. That's like the one thing that you can bank on with him. Like he might not like you as a person, but he will respect you for your game. And you know, poor we, guy, we, though, right? Because it wasn't yeah. his fault. Like, well, I don't even think he was bothered. Like it drove him to play better because he he came out and said like he played like a really bad game, and then he came back and he played way better. So. I mean, at the end of the day, you're getting, uh, you know, you're getting taught highly on from Michael Jordan. If anything, that's going to drive you to be even better. So, and but like I said, it all worked out for him. But as far as Jerry Krause goes, um, regardless of like anything, like you're spot on when you're saying like he's always worried about the next era because he was so convinced that his organization was the reason this was all happening. So he didn't even take the time to enjoy what was happening in front of him. He got so caught up of trying to make sure that that success continued that he literally lost all focus and all track of everything happening right in front of him. Like that's, that's all this, this is, it's like, he got greedy. Him as the bad guy though. It's like, uh, there's more to it than than that. But no, I mean, he, I think he gets credit for assembling and drafting players, but you're right. Like he's greedy. yeah, he needs to chill in that in those moments and just realize what he has because it was the whole thing was weird. The whole way they're setting up that story of how he didn't want to pay anybody and like that's not all GM. Like you got there, there's more to it than that. And yeah, and I mean Scotty Scotty signed that long ass contract. I mean it is what it is. You know he should have had better yeah. representation and so there's all kinds of things that happen. But I will say this: Jay Jay Krause is greedy. And oh, yeah. <laughs> he is, and he is spiteful, and he literally like he he wanted all the praise that Michael got, and like that's just why Michael gave him so much shit because he recognized that, and great ones do. Great ones can recognize the insecurities of others, and but when you let another man know your weakness, like, that's everything. You yep. control that person at that point because you know where yeah, to hit. Yeah, them. he tried to make it a system, right? Like you can plug and plug and play all these different guys into the Hell system no. and it works. And it's like, nah, you don't have Michael <laughs> Jordan and Scottie Pippen just walking around. It's just yeah. generational talent, you know? Exactly. That doesn't happen all the time. But uh, yeah, and then uh, going back to what you were saying in the beginning real quick, just the way he draped that American flag over that Reebok logo, man. Like just couldn't even tell. If only he could have got the entire team to do it. That would have been next level. Yeah, that would have been crazy. Would have been amazing. But, yeah, only Michael Jordan would do that, thinking, thinking about the biz before that. And then um, the biggest person of this entire two-episode stack, the, I woke up on my Twitter this morning to see this short white man with a mustache and curly hair betting with Michael Jordan playing quarters. Like, yeah, this dude was everywhere. Were everywhere on Twitter today, the memes and all the comments about him. Uh, I'm glad we're talking about him. You, you jumped straight into it. That's funny. Uh, yeah. the, the two things I want to talk about were him and the gambling stuff. So with him, it was like, was this guy gambling with everybody? Was MJ gambling with like the entire Bulls staff, like the arena staff? Because it sure – it seems like that's what was going on. Yeah. So, like, I think Michael Jordan, like, somebody could have – I could have been like, you know, my, my four-year-old self. I could have been like, Mike, I bet $20 this is this. And he'll probably be like, I got you, little fucker. Like, come on, let's go. Like, I really feel like that's where he was at. Like, <laughs> and so you got this guy. And by the way, his name is John Michael uh, Wozniak. And he passed away in January. Uh, so that Crap. sucks. Yeah. It's great for right now. Yeah. It's, so many interviews. Oh, my God. Like, I, dude, this is what I'm thinking this morning. Okay. I'm like, this dude's still alive. Like, you know, God rest his soul. Watch, you know, just 
if this dude was still alive, if I could have him or Michael Jordan on the podcast, who would I want? And it's John Wozniak, like, all the way. <laughs> like, I, and I'm dead serious. Like, dude, like, because having Michael Jordan on the podcast, that'd be great. You get a big name. Everyone wants to listen. But what are you really going to get out of Michael Jordan that we don't already know? Yeah, you get, get the same generic responses. Exactly. Like, I'm Michael Jordan. I play basketball. Like, he's boring. His, his game did all the talking. Like, he literally – like, Michael Jordan – He's not boring. Michael Jordan – okay, well, maybe – He's one of the most likable players of all time. Yes, but, like, literally – he literally doesn't have to say a word the rest of his life if he doesn't want to. Because right, his right. Game, I agree with you on that. His game did all the talking. So he can literally just, just have someone, boring. He can have someone follow him around and just talk yeah. for him. I get your point. You're saying other guys get boring. more I, I retract that comment. Sorry. But I think it would be way cooler to have John Wozniak on the show, but we can't. So I just, I just wanted to say that, though, and let it be known that he did pass away in, uh, in January. It sucks because I'm sure they would have had him on this documentary. Yeah, that would have been epic. But I, I wonder when they filmed it. it. I wonder – I guess he would have been – you know, I don't know when they, they – It was before Kobe passed. We know that much. Yeah, and this guy probably was so old by now that he couldn't have even – I don't know. I don't know, the, I don't know the circumstances, so I'm not going to speculate. But that would have been awesome to have him do some interviews. It was just funny as hell, though, when, like, he's just like, uh, what was it he said? He, they were just literally throwing quarters, and he bets $20, and he was like, I'm going to take this and put it right in my pocket. And he just does the little <laughs> – he does a little whoops, like the little yeah. thing with his hands. Like, dude, that was amazing. Like, that should be framed somewhere. Um, but, yeah, that's what really – like, episode six was really centered around – the gambling and like this is what me and you talked about yeah we talked about this like because like i was like are they gonna get into it it's like you have to but of course we don't understand if it had to do anything with him leaving the game or whatever it didn't but this was just a part of his life and something he liked to do but dude it was crazy yeah this was awesome to to see because some of the comments that were mentioned were hey you're gonna run michael jordan off like he's already can the demand for Michael Jordan was so high. And like anytime he stepped foot anywhere, he was surrounded in the media attention, the backlash or anytime he did something wrong that this was at that, this was at that fine point where a little bit more pushing on him and he might've just completely shut everyone out. I know he went through media blackouts where he just said he wasn't going to talk to media for periods of time, but um, this all goes back to the competitive nature, right? Like he just loves competing. So when he had a ton of money, he started looking for, for ways for friendly competition. And that usually led to golf course, golf course wagers. Um, but it, it bled over to everything. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, you got people in your locker room, like Paxson and we're playing like dollar blackjack hands. And he's like going up, like at playing thousand dollar hands of poker in the back of the, of the plane. And then coming up to them saying, Hey guys, what you doing? And Paxson's like, fuck off. Like, I don't want to fucking play with you. Like, he was yeah. just like, I was like, it's for a dollar. Okay, cool. I'll sit down. I just want to put someone else's money in my pocket. Like that's his, that's his mentality. He had to be the best at everything he did playing golf though was the big one for me because this is where a lot of it started. Like, I mean, this dude literally skipped a trip to the white house to go play with a dude named slim Buller or slim Bueller, which was a golf hustler that ended up getting in a lot of hot shit. And then he owed him like 57 grand. They find a check from him to him. And he's like, Oh, it was something. And then he came out and said, I was just embarrassed to say that I lost a bet. So I didn't want to say anything about it. 
Yeah, this is where you get into the conspiracy theories. And um, I think this is where the big money was thrown down is on the golf course, just knowing how much he played. But, you know, not to get too much into conspiracies, but there are people out there and there are details about possibly Jordan stepping away from the game um, for baseball being because the mob basically owned Michael Jordan's life. There was so much money at stake between Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan's dad, who also was a gambler with him, mm-hmm. that essentially – Jordan uh, was involved with the mob in, in throwing games. Um, and so much so that David Stern and Michael Jordan had to have this big sit down. And basically Michael Jordan stepped away from baseball before coming back and playing for the Wizards. But they hinted at it. They didn't hint at, they didn't hint at the conspiracy or him having any kind of gambling massive problem. They didn't do that. But one thing I did catch was they brought up how in 1998 when he was playing – um, he still was like the best player in the league, and he was talking about stepping away. Like he still was at the top of his game, even though other guys were catching him. Um, it's just funny that he somebody as competitive as Tom Brady, for example, Michael Jordan is more competitive or equally competitive, um, was choosing to step away when he was still winning the All Star MVP. Did you catch that? Right. Yeah. And I mean, and it also goes into play too with like the whole deal of, um, you know, with 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 coach wanting to step down and, you know, having to look into the, the aspect of everything that was happening around him. And I mean, he was the most wanted person like out there, like in the beginning of the show, like it's literally him laying down in his hotel room. And he's like, this is the only time I get, you know, he's like looking at it from that perspective. Like he walks out of his hotel room and he's bombarded with media and fans. And so the conspiracy stuff, like, I feel like that makes a little more sense, but also the one thing that I can use to kind of like um, a little bit more reason for me would be like, maybe he really just gets got so worn down by that type of phenomenon culture built around him that he would, he might've got overloaded. And then as soon as you find out that Phil Jackson is leaving, maybe he took that as a, well, I've accomplished this, all this stuff here. I don't want to do it with anybody else. I got all this other shit going on. Maybe I should walk away for right now, but it's still hard to, it's still hard to tell. I don't but know. Isn't it weird how he was saying he wasn't going to miss it and saying stuff like that. And then we know he only had a short stint in baseball came right back that's what's so weird it's like one minute you're saying you're not going to miss it and you don't want to be somebody that like gets hurt to end their career you want to walk off on your own two feet I don't know it's just sketchy still and you know I'm not gonna there's a lot of material out there you can research on on the mob theory and stuff but if you see a $57,000 check for a random guy who was playing in golf you got to imagine he was throwing down some serious money (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I had to. And I mean, and it makes a lot of sense, dude. And I mean, that's that's like one of the stories that I had kind of looked at, but just trying to find a way that maybe it wasn't true, but at the same time you're just kind of like he's Michael Jordan. He influenced the game so much. He could have made certain things happen. You know, who's to say that he couldn't have followed Phil Jackson somewhere else, you know, to yeah. another team and did it there like so yeah, it that that's where the conspiracy stuff does come into play, but only a few people know the truth and it's, yeah. it's buried. So we'll find it one day hopefully. That would be something really cool. Like before we die, just like somebody's like, Hey, it's like it's like I'm a make a wish old man and I'm like, I just want Michael Jordan because he'll probably still be alive because he'll probably like live forever. And like I'll be like laying there like, you know, hundred and five and he's like, you know, like a hundred and fucking whatever. And I'm just like, I need him to come in here in a wheelchair 
and like tell me what really happened and then he'll just tell me and then like he can just kill me and that way yeah. I know and I can rest easy you know for the rest of my days so that would be something but he had he had Jordan the the Jordan rules book by Sam Smith that's what kind of started all the shit and people saying that Horace Grant was was contributing to that he punched will purdue fucking like all this shit that happened i think that jerry Krause had a big part in that but just mainly because of his fucking greediness and because of his vengefulness towards michael you know then they played like we talked a little bit about the knicks and then being the bad boys patrick ewing and everything and then the uh the Esnecki's book that came out like he's like i have a gambling problem i'm gonna put michael jackson on the cover i mean michael jordan on the cover of it with me like just to do it like that shit that will like that would piss me off like so bad. I don't know if I missed that part. The what cover did they put him on? Uh, the uh, the book by Richard Esnecki's, uh I think that's how you pronounce his last name. But he basically wrote a book called Michael and Me: My Gambling Addiction and Cry for Help. Basically, mm-hmm. in the book, he's talking about how Michael owed him like millions of dollars, and then like Mike's just like. Well, I was I was playing golf with a lot of people at that time. You don't really know the character of these people. I was just playing golf with them. And this dude just writes a fucking book about his gambling problems, and it's a cry for help. But he just puts Michael Jordan on the cover of it with him to get more book sales. Interesting. Yeah, it's just crazy shit. Like, there was all these books, and that's what made him go even deeper into the gambling addiction because when he released that book that was around the same time that all the shit that was happening with the Jordan rules and with him not wanting to go to the White House, like, and it just piled up to where finally he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to go ahead and get this out the way. And then he does the interview with the fucking Ray-Ban Clubmasters on. And he's just like, it's just like, what? It's like, so what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what? I don't know. I don't know what was going through his head, but it's funny, man. It's almost like everything is, you wonder if he's just random and decision-making is just random and, and, and spotty, or is it everything's done with intent? Like, is he doing that for marketability? Like, you know what I mean? You have to wonder like, what his motives like, are there. He's so smart that it's like, how could he not do it for marketability? But at the same time, Maybe he is impulsive, and I mean, some of the greats out there are impulsive. Some great thinkers and great people can be impulsive, and and I feel like at that moment, maybe he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do it." Like, let's go, because yeah. he was one of those kind of people where he could just say a word and people would flock to him. So maybe he just was like, he got there, he thought about it for a while, and he was about to go play a game, and he was in a really good mood, and he was just like, "Fuck it, yeah, let's go ahead and get out the way. I don't want to deal with it no more." And so he just basically came out and said what he said, but the gambling, the conspiracy theories, that's all stuff that we definitely want to learn more. And do you, do you know any certain places where the listeners can go and look up that kind of shit? If they haven't looked it up or seen it already for Jordan's conspiracies. Yeah. For, for like anything that provides good Um, insight, you know, any good sites or anything? Cause I definitely, I've looked into it little bits, but uh, I'll definitely be doing a lot more research on it now and looking deeper into it. It seems like you've done a little bit more homework on it than I probably have. Probably specifically. I know that, I know that Tommy G stuff who, if he's in the fantasy industry too, but more in the conspiracy industry now, Uh, Tommy G stuff has an episode centered around Michael Jordan's father and Michael Jordan, but there's stuff all over the internet you could find. I'm Just sure start, make start, a thread. Yeah, starting with Google, you can, <laughs> you can find it. But no, I have to give him props on that's probably where I heard about it, you know, three, four years ago. So, okay. Yeah, dude, Tommy G. Wow, dude, that dude has made a full business transition. Oh, he is all in, bro. Yeah, yeah. like he's going to have it's the, the No Mercy podcast is, is going to soon be the, 
the we're, we live in a big machine podcast crazy yeah, stuff it's but, growing he's got a lot yeah. of followers right now oh yeah but episode five and six were incredible can't wait till next weekend so westworld season finale um was all weird. over the place. yeah it was i mean it, it just there's a lot of things to it like for one it's just we, we've come to expect that you know for the past two seasons we've been inside of a theme park and we've kind of had these certain narratives of them trying to break out. It's like now they've broken out. So, I mean, I feel like the people that watched it, including myself and, and you, like we've, we've kind of expected these same things, but it's just a completely different reality now. So, of course, the show changes and things change. And I've heard a lot of people say that they hated it. And I've heard a few people say they liked it. And I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I mean, it was it was weirdly average. I'll put it that way. It was kind of average. But, I mean, there were some high points throughout and some low points. Um, but just off the top for you, like, I mean, was this everything you expected it to be? Or did it underperform or overperform your expectations? Yeah, I got to come out and say it underperformed. I mean, I felt average is probably the best way to put it. But that's underperforming for me. And, you know. I think in summary, it's like it's turned into a show that's really cool to me and not a show that I feel stuff like I don't feel I didn't feel anything when I was watching. It's just like, that's cool. That's a cool scene. That's that's seems like a bit of a stretch or that seems like they can't make their mind up. A lot of thoughts like that. But I didn't I wasn't, you know, when you're into a show, maybe like the, the last dance and you're just tunnel vision. That's not what this episode was for me. Right. Like there were like moments like, see, for me watching it, like there, the tech and stuff like that is what really piques my interest and like just how they picture and depict the world in the future. Those are the kind of things that really catch my eye. But yeah, like I, I completely feel what you're saying though. Cause like, you know, whereas we've been able to connect with characters, you know, in the past, like, like when you watch Ozark, like how you can connect with like Marty and Wendy or, you know, the kids or whatever like that. And, you know, the other characters that are a part of that, there wasn't a lot of that this season because like, it's like Dolores, they, they, they took her character and it's like, they got really flip floppy with her, especially at the end of this, this episode. And yeah, they did so much to go all <laughs> to go all in on her, man. Like all in on making her just ruthless, and then they were like, "Up, oh, forget all that." Yeah, like here's the beautiful shit. So, just kind of a breakdown going in, like you know, the the first thing off this episode, um, you know, we we saw it on the previews was we saw where Dolores was like back like as an old robot, and it made us wonder is like has she always been this type? And it's like no, that was a rebooted version, but she brought a first gen. Uh, robotic version of herself to this warehouse and she did that because that was like the strongest made versions of the Delos robots before they made them to where they were printed and basically human um, so I thought that that was pretty neat because she wanted to come back in that form because she knew she was gonna have to fight again and that was like the best weapon for her was her own body being the metal robotic version of herself um, so I thought that was really cool that we got to see all that kind of break down. And, um, I don't know, like it was, uh, there was a moment where it was like, it was like some weird, like, uh, it was like some weird vibes, man, because it's just like, you're sitting there and I'm like looking and I'm like, like, obviously I think that, you know, that Evan Rachel Woods like hot and I'm just like, do I think this robot is hot? Like, <laughs> looking at him like this robot has no ass. 
it was such a weird scene it was such a weird scene seeing like the the face but like just the robot i don't know yeah like i was wondering if like that she was gonna slap them silicone titties on i was like is this gonna happen but i was like nah just an arm wholesome yep that's all they showed was like the whole all the body parts and then she just grabbed the arm she should have just rolled out like into the world like that like you really want to put some motherfuckers in check like just roll out like that it's making a statement yeah, for real. It's just like, 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 bitch, look at me. You can see through me. Like, check it out. <laughs> like, that'd have been next level. I don't know. Um, uh, Lawrence popping back up in this episode was another thing. We find out that Lawrence is a cop and brings Bernard this briefcase after he turns some kind of switch on to like beat the shit out of William and then William runs away. Um, and so seeing Lawrence come back, it was just like, little too late like we get like that's the one thing about this season that pissed me off is like these characters would be introduced and then we just never see him again like clementine like what the fuck i almost feel like that's fan service they're <sighs> yeah. just like hey here are these characters and then they give the, the you know the actor actress their their quick payday and then okay all you fans of that character got to see him but they're gone now yeah it nice pisses story. me off so pisses stupid. me off. Yeah, so it's like they better have either a bigger role or whatever. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with it. But um, we go there, and then once, you know, Bernard gets his briefcase, he's there with Stubbs. Um, they, we, we don't see him for a little while, but he's sent to an address. And, like, just go ahead and wrap up the Bernard story real quick. Like, he's sent to this address, and he's at, he goes to Arnold's wife's house, and she's, like, this old lady now. And it's like – Either it went over my head, but I don't really know what the purpose of that was. Maybe it was just for him to, like, let go of shit. Like, but it's like, what did he have to let go of? Like, he was attached humanly to Arnold, I guess. But it's like, what purpose did that really serve? And it's like, how in the fuck, like, like did, did Bernard's or Arnold's wife know that he was a robot? Like, how did she not recognize him? Yeah, it was confusing, man. I think it was more for Bernard's sake to be reminded that although these people were made up in his storyline or his memories, they actually were real people for Arnold. I guess that was the purpose. Because we saw that that actress, that lady that played the – obviously, she's they used some makeup to make her look so much older. But we mm-hmm. saw her back in season one when he would like FaceTime his wife or his fake wife. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't really know – why that made him want to be loyal to Dolores or decide to do what he did. I don't, I'm not sure I understand the purpose of that scene either. Um, There's beauty in the world. Yeah. I don't know. That's why. Cause she's Fuck. the one that sent the note, right? With the address. Yeah. Cause Dolores was Lawrence. The, 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 the Lawrence. The Lawrence. That's what we'll call it. The Lawrence. So the Lawrence. Yeah. Does that. I don't know. I thought that was just really weird. I thought it was super strange that, the wife like it's like the wife had to have known because why the fuck like if i'm some old lady and i see this motherfucker coming in that hadn't aged at all i'm gonna be like ah like i'm gonna freak out like what the fuck it doesn't maybe she was maybe they were trying to sell that she was so like old and sick that she couldn't i don't know maybe she was drugged who knows yeah maybe 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 she was uh delore arnold's wife hail Lawrence. Um, I think it's safe to say me and you would have much rather seen more of the Bernard um, scene at the end than get that scene with the wife. Or with the yeah, wife. basically. Um, so, and then Bernard, some more Bernard stuff will come up at the end. But 
uh, going from that, like whenever we get back to Caleb and Dolores after she has all of her skin on and they're out and about, they're using Rico to like call in people and shoot and protect them. And then all of a sudden we get one arm burn Charlotte Dolores Hale rolling in there to be like, I know I'm you, but now things are going to be my way because that's how I want them to be. So I call people on Rico too. And so then it just becomes a who can spend more money to kill people battle between them two, which doesn't last very long. And then it's like, Caleb go. And then she's just shooting until Maeve comes. And then, yeah, this seems like this seemed like a, a forced action scene. Like they, the, the action scenes were cool, but it's almost like I was already over the storyline when it started. Yeah. I, we, we've I, seen I just, enough of this. Yeah. I can skip over this. So you know, I, I, I was ready to move on. Right. So we finally get the battle. Dolores wins. And she's like, they made us to last before they made us like them. And then, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, problem with that is you're like wires. And so, like, then Charlotte Hale is, like, doing stuff. And she can't move. And then Dolores falls. And Maeve gets up. And then she goes off. And Caleb's left behind. And he's trying to figure shit out. And that's when Caleb goes into insight and he meets up with Marshawn Lynch and other girl. And there's all these riots going on. He gets into a police copter. Marshawn Lynch gets shot. They save him. He gets there. And when he gets to insight, it's not long before he can even upload the shit in to, uh, to the, the server or whatever that Maven them capture him. And he goes down to a cellar where Dolores is connected to, this big ass oracle, which I believe's name is Ro- Robaham or Roboam. Close enough. I don't know. But so, yeah, at this point is when we start figuring out a lot of shit. So they're going through Dolores because they think Dolores has the key, which she doesn't because me and you both predicted it. And it was the most predictable thing in the world. Bernard had the key the entire time. So we knew this shit. And I hope that everyone listening to this knew that shit, too. Because that was just the most predictable shit. It's like, why else would she have allowed him to come back and live if she didn't want to make I him will, a player in the game? You know what I mean? Uh, right. But I will, I will say this, though, and I don't know if you suspect it or not, but whenever they were fighting, when, whenever Bernard was like, remember who you are, and then he got up and started going off, like there was a moment there that I was like, what if it's Dolores? And what if, what if Drew was right? And like, there's just been like this little film of Bernard like over Dolores the whole time. I still think that's in in the that's possible. That might be how Dolores continues to live. It's possible, maybe so. Like, I'm not ready to rule it out just because it seems like he's done that weird thing a few times back in episode. Remember one. who you are. <laughs> yeah, like, he starts going crazy. It's like what the fuck. So, so weird. Yeah. So we get back get back to this. We we start to realize that like Maeve finds out that Sirac is basically just some average fucking Joe that is not even a really a powerful person at all. He has a little device behind his ear and the, the, the system Rovaham tells him what to do for his entire life. That's what has happened. He has been nothing more than a puppet for the machine. It just tells him what to say. So Sirach ain't shit. Sirach's just this dude. Like he's just this spineless fuck that like belongs in a gutter. Like, so like all the credibility that he had is out the window. So, now he's just some pissant in the world. I was kind uh, of frustrated with this. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to get hit with everyone that. has a master theme anymore. Like I'm tired of that fatigued, you know, like everyone has a, a person that's telling them what to do. 
And that's well, what they gave us. And it's like, man. Guess what? You're going to get your wish in season four, hopefully, unless Ford <laughs> comes back down off in a fucking hot air balloon and is like, tricked you bitches. We're in Delos Park. This is not even a certain time. You've been living in a simulation. I win. I'm God. Like, that's probably what's going to happen at this point. But I, I really hope that if they do that, that the producers are listening to this somehow and they actually make him come down in a hot air balloon. That's all that I can say. And then it's like, you've been watching Willy Wonka part three this entire time. I don't know. It could get wild. Who cares? Maybe but, they'll justify it with that weird drug they had Jesse on. Or not Jesse. Um, I'm talking about Breaking Bad. The, the oh, episode that me and you loved uh, of Caleb. Oh, yeah. Drugged. Maybe yeah. they'll have that come back and that's why somebody's on a balloon. Oh, yeah. That would be that would be pretty badass. It's like, yeah. That was like one like, of our favorite episodes. That episode was far better than the finale. It was. It was like it was cool and it was different too. Yeah. So creative I, I, storytelling. I fucked with that. I did. But may, maybe all this, like this entire series, has been a dream, and then it, it just goes straight to the scene where the grandpa and Willy Wonka wakes up, and this is what he was dreaming about the entire time. I'm just thinking of how many people would throw <laughs> something at their at their at their screen if they saw that happen. Oh God, it would be bad. But after that. Dolores basically gets her entire memory wiped and like she touches like Maeve, Maeve goes into the system and she's like, the reason I did this is because there's beauty in the world. And yeah, that's like the lamest shit ever. And then Caleb finds out that like her plan is basically going to extinct the human race. And that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Is that Ciroc presenting that to Caleb, basically trying to get Caleb to be cool or is that really what's going to happen? Because we've heard that from Bernard and all of them. So I think it's that's like what was going to happen based on the fact that that's what the system spit out. Like they showed the computer screen. It was like, this is what would have happened. And I'm, I know it could have been faked out by Ciroc, but what motive does he have to convince him Dolores is a liar when he was just going to kill him? His plan was just right. to kill him. So, right. And so, I mean, I, I guess that it wouldn't really matter, but maybe there's hopes and, like, this is the only thing I can think of at this point, Drew, is that, like, maybe there's, like, like this hope of, like, the whole reason this is happening is because Dolores is like, well, I know the system says that, but maybe it won't. Yeah. Like, maybe if we don't have this system, like, you know, is that, like, what she's trying to get to and what I do understand what Dolores is doing here is, like, there is no free will. There's no free will in, in Delos parts. There's no free will. They tried to eliminate free will in the real world, and she's like, it may be, you know, it'll say this, this isn't, but that, but I think she does a really good job at showing that like, that's not her goal. Her goal is not to end humanity. But the one thing I think people need to understand and what they might not see is that there's the hope that that won't happen now that this machine is done because the very next thing after Dolores dies and her memory ball is just sink to oblivion, there is something inside of her that gives Caleb all the access. And Caleb basically says, erase yourself. And the entire Oracle goes to shit. Sirach's crying because he's like now speaking in gibberish. He doesn't know how to move anymore or talk, but he's also not dead, but it's like, how useful is he really? Because his brain is probably mush because he hasn't done any thinking for himself in like years of his life. And, um, and, and then Maeve is like killing other people. So now Maeve and Caleb are together and then they go off into the sunset and we're listening to Pink Floyd's brain damage, which is like the most badass thing that could have ever happened because it's just such a badass song. I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. 
So like, it was awesome to get to hear that music. They always are spot on with the music, even yeah, if the they make, awesome. yeah, even if they make shitty shows, they're always spot on with that. <laughs> but, um, as like, there's anarchy going on. Like this yeah, is how the world is right now until that, that was a beautiful scene though, man. Like, if, like for somebody that like, that like fucks with shit like that. Like I was like, this is pretty kick ass. Like, it's just like Pink Floyd's playing. The explosions are going off into the world's happening. And it's like, this was kind of cool. So like I did, I did like that ending. What I didn't like was what came after. Agreed. So Bernard puts on the, the headset or whatever, I guess to unlock the key and then just like goes offline. The next thing we go to is we're like, in the Give future. us more there. Give us more, like show us where you went. I know there's another season four is already confirmed, but just had to yeah. say that real quick. Like, give us a little bit more than he just finally hits the button. You know, like show us something. Right, and I'm, and it's like he just gets shut off, and we see like the stuff click. I mean, we get, we do get to see another thing at the end, and that's where like he wakes up, and there's just like dust all over him. Like he's been there for like years. So like. That's where I'm. This like, leads to more questions. You're like, okay, what's like, going on here? Holy shit! Like, what I guess timeline? Had to, I guess it had to be like a cliffhanger, right, for Westworld. But you want to talk about the William scene too? How frustrated you were with that? Because that yeah. killed me. So you know, throughout the the show, like William ran away or whatever, he ends up going into this uh, place and talks to this guy, and they're all like, "We thought you were dead." There's so many theories on Westworld that are saying that like he's on a different timeline and that he's a host this whole time. And I'm like, none of that makes any fucking sense. I don't understand. Like I, I really got to read deeper, but I don't even want to at this point because it's over and I want to just let it go until season four. Like anytime I can end a, a series and I'm not itching to get to the next episode, I know that it hasn't really done its job. And that's kind of what's happened here. Um, and as much as I love it, I'm still frustrated, but you know, the whole William thing, we, we see him rolling up to Delos, have no idea what time frame we're in. Charlotte Hale's in there. Delore Hale. We'll just call her, She's just Hale again now. She's just a weird version of, of yeah. Hale. And that's exactly what she is. So now we're at this point to where she's inside of Delos making all these – like, and I'm pretty sure she's making a shitload of hosts because that's the only thing she could be doing. And William's she can make like, an army. Yeah. Yeah, William's like, nah, fuck you. And then all of a sudden, here comes uh, Man in Black William to, like, just murder William. And he's like, oh, shit. And it's like – and then he just dies. And he just slits his throat. Like one of the main puzzle pieces, the pillars of this show, like the a big chunk of glue of Westworld is just killed in an afterthought scene. Yeah, this ruined it, man. This made it, this was so frustrating because if Williams' character was a stock, was a stock, right? He was, you know, on top of the world. Just the stock was hot all season one, his character was great. And then he kind of got boring because it was like played out. But then there was this resurgence here that me and you were excited about where he was going to possibly be like the hero. Right. And like, I know he can't fight the host and like stand up to him, you know, but maybe he found, maybe he could have found some technology that leveled the playing field and he'd be able to fight him. But just so stupid to invest all that. Um, I mean, there was a whole episode centered on him and being brainwashed and how he went and, fault his inner demons and the other versions of himself and then all that time it just i just threw it out the window man just said just to, to, to basically called him a loose end right like let's just close this let's close this storyline out before next season so right it's like, maybe there's it's some like, contract stuff man i gotta think that maybe there's like something to do with the actor not wanting to be on the show anymore 
because yeah, that is that was that not like the most bizarre thing to you? Yeah, it made no sense. Like he's not that that's not somebody that gets killed. Like that's somebody like Stubbs. Like like Stubbs yeah, 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 like like right. you can like smush his ball, like his pearl for his brain. And like we're just like, oh dang, well, sucks, but Stubb won't be back. Or like somebody like Lawrence, you know, like, oh, we got right. to see him for a minute, but oh dang, like, oh well, it was cool. Not William. Not after you've given him this master plot to like save everything. It's like, and now it's like you just built up this like entire storyline that you could have fucking had. And now we're not going to have it. So basically we're going to, I'm sure that Delore hell is going to use William, the host William in some way, shape or form. I don't know. Like, cause like at this point, if, if, if like none of that happened, if that was like some kind of dream or whatever, and it comes back Stupid. in, I'm going to be mad. I'm, I'm going to be over, dude, I will be over Westworld, bro. And like, I hate to say that, but like, if at this point, if Dolores comes back, like, cause Dolores dying is enough as it is. You know what I mean? Like she, she dead, like she's gone. Like, and they're already, I've read articles today. They're already talking about Evan Rachel Wood coming back. So I'm like, what, what? Like, yeah. And how? I think they might bring her back. I don't know. But that goes back to, I think, a couple episodes ago, man. Didn't I tell you how fatigued I was with people dying? Like, they got, they have got to stop. Whether it's a host or whether it's a human, I don't care what it is. They've got to stop killing people off on screen. And then next episode, they're back. But, that, but that's what the host product is all built around. They I know. Just, but they can't die. I know. But eventually, you're going to lose the, like I said when I'm watching it, I felt nothing when Dolores when she keeps dying. So like yeah. they build it up as a big moment, right? They build it up as an emotional dying, like a moment that seems real and then nothing happens. There's but, no but why should you, why should we feel anything at this point? Because they're just hosts and we know they can come back. So we lose all emotion to the robot, to the AI. We lose emotion to that. Like where the emotion comes into play would be like, okay, you have, yeah, we, yeah, dude, we got, we got old school. We landlining. Wow. Um, what, what would be like an emotional thing for me is like, you know, if we would have saw somebody like smash Dolores's pearl, that's an emotional moment. You know, unfortunately we saw that for, um, you know, Maeve's old dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember his name right now, but I know you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, who cares? I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It's just, the fatigue thing, like if William comes back and he's fine, then I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. And that's as much as I like, I wish he was alive. You know, like that was the worst part of the episode was seeing them invest all that. I time loved William. It. Like yeah. I, I loved his character. I thought he was a badass part of the show. I mean, he went on for so long. It's like, but it's so disrespectful to me. Like, and, and you, you, but you agree. This. You can't bring him back. Right. No, not at this point. Like, you, you, well, I mean, I mean, obviously the actor's going to be back. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Cause he'll be a host. Right. But so, I mean, you know, so like the whole contract deal thing, I mean, that's kind of out the window, but it's like, fuck, like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I got just, just, I, I would have rather hit that happen in the show and not in some little ass clip after it's all said and done. Or, or at least let him accomplish something first and he dies doing it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was literally the only purpose of it was to show us that Hale is on this new agenda driven mission where she's trying to do what Dolores did, but more brutal. She's trying to basically 
take one step further and killing human, like destroying humanity. Yeah. And that's all the purpose of William. Like that's it. That's his summary of the season is that everything led up to him just showing us what Hale is doing, which is right. not, which is not the direction we were led to believe. I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's got so crazy. Like I can remember the days when like we thought that Westworld was going to be like, like season two came and we, we went to the, uh, the what whatever mandarin world or whatever it was called um samurai world whatever it was and i can remember thinking like oh season three like we're gonna go to night world or we're gonna go to you know i mean we they had glimpses of world war ii era stuff it's like you were, were you one of those fans that like thought that we were basically just gonna be like skipping like to these different delos parks the entire time no, I thought we'd, we'd see most of it centered in the real world or what we think is the real world, I should say. Um, I didn't think we were going to do too much park-oriented stuff, even though we, we had glimpses of it. But, man, it's just a shame because me and you, you know, we if you're listening to this you're for the first time, I'll probably think, I know they're so down on a show they're covering. But, no, the middle episodes of this season actually had us high on Westworld again. So we were very, very much on the optimistic side. But it seems like both of us are just frustrated with the um, – It's the ending. It's the ending just wasn't what we expected. Yeah. The middle episodes, like you said, they were great. And, and I do like the fact that like that, that's the thing with me. It's like, I can't hundred percent say I hate it because it's like, I also have to recognize like, you know, we're just, we're in the real world now. And like, there's like these new factors that are into play, but it's just like, but I feel like the writers have just like lost sense of the story, you know, because we're in this new world now. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully by the time next season comes, cause you and I both know we're going to be watching it. <laughs> and, and, and I just hope to God that, that they can figure some shit out. But season um, three was good enough to where I'm not abandoning it. It was like, there was yeah. those middle episodes were good enough and they just have got to stop playing the, everyone has a master uh, like free will versus no free will. They got to I mean, I'm not saying well, you, you have to lose it completely, but you have to add some other stuff in there. I think we get that in season four because now these, you know, uh, Simon and Ro, uh, Robaham or whatever, like they're, they're gone. They're done. Um, you know, I, I think that what well, we saw Roboam is done. Don't really know about Simon. I'm pretty sure Simon's done though too, because she hit the EMP. So, you know, with so it's, it's going to be about Bernard, the, the, the host world that's out there, right? What's it called? the other world where they have all the other people stored. It's going to be about that mixed with like how they build this new world up. Right. Yeah. Like this has to be, yeah, this has to be about how they make the new world pretty much like that's it. What's the place they call it though? Like the, the place where all the other hosts are at the, where Maeve's daughter is. I can't remember what they, Bernard's going there when it's the very last scene. Right. Um, I can't remember what they call it. They go. You know where all the hosts are stored. Where they're the 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 map where they hid the the map so where they couldn't access it. Oh, like you're talking about like the. Um, they all ran through the door at the end of season two. Oh, like you're talking. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Like, like the uh, like the afterworld. It's like kind of like their heaven. Yeah, that's where they all are, and that's where we're assuming Bernard is traveling to to see where like see where they're at, right? Or did I get that wrong? I don't think I don't think that's what happened here at all. Like I mean, like that's like uh, I think that's more of a mystery. Like I hadn't really thought too much about like where they're going or what the key actually is or what it does. But 
I need to look more into that. I was just kind of like. That's why I thought Ciroc's purpose, like that's what they're trying to accomplish is get Dolores, get Dolores for that information, the key to all that, the key to that world. That's what I thought. Yeah, like maybe maybe to get all the data, like that's where like every piece of data is stored. Like I, I for me, like I've been thinking this whole time, and I could be completely wrong, but like I've been thinking this whole time that like that that key is like, every bit of data that's ever been from Delos, every backup of every host, like everything. Yeah. Like right. that's, that's what I'm looking at that being this whole time. But now that we see Bernard go into like this deep sleep, when he puts this headset on, it's like, what really happens? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause he wakes up several, there's no way in hell unless they had some kind of nuclear bomb 10 minutes after. And that's the next morning. Like there's no way in hell he's got that much dirt covering him. You know, and he just comes too. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird way to end it. Um, I would have much rather learned some cool stuff about that than that weird scene with him and the his his fake wife. Well, they left us in limbo again. Those yep, fuckers sure. and the the fake the fake <laughs> this old lady that had no idea. Like it's like this this thing comes in looks exactly like dude. That's what baffled me the most. Like this is like a person you were married to that that died. And you're just like cool, calm, and collected. It ain't aged or nothing. Like, what is wrong? Yes, yeah. and 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 not even she act like it wasn't weird. She like gave him advice of like, hey, you'll stop hearing his voice. It's okay. Yeah, she Come had to have known. That's all, like, that's that's all we can think is like she had to have known. Yeah, like I don't know, weird stuff. Weird. Dude. Yep. That's uh. Are we that's too pessimistic? Um. No, I, I don't think so. I think that there's going to be a lot more people out there, and I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more opinions very soon as the week continues. But, um, yeah, it's just – it is what it is, man. And I just hope that whatever they follow up with next season um, can really deliver in a different way. Right. That's all we can hope for. We, we got another season to look forward to, and that means that there's hope. Just like there's hope for Evan Rachel Wood to come back. <laughs> My favorite part, my favorite part, I'll say this, was that Caleb got to make a choice at the end. That was cool. Yeah, it was. That was that's what it's all about. Yeah. And also, too, like I'm about to completely end this podcast without even saying this. Like, she chose him based off of a lot of factors, but maybe even said it herself. She chose him for his capacity to make a choice. A tough choice. And it goes back to whenever the, they were training in the army and using real life simulation and with, with the Delos robots and Dolores was actually one of the civilians that were in the training ceremony. And some of the guys wanted to smash the robots like all the rich people used to come and do. And then he was just like, no, like, let's go in here. And like, even in Dolores's backup, backup, backup of her backup, she recognized him as being that person that did that and that was yeah. another reason why she made those things so she did see the beauty in humanity and yeah, that um, was a cool scene too getting the flashback and all that so yeah we're giving it we're giving it some credit here at the end but that was right. really cool to have and he's set up to be in the the show next season if he wants to be so that was cool have you seen all the people that are making the comparisons about like breaking bad and shit like that how they're like, it ain't no Breaking Bad. And like Aaron Paul's in it now, so it just makes it kind of funny. Like <laughs> that, yeah. that all this is happening. I don't know. It's uh, I, I think Westworld is uh, I think Westworld's good. 
needs to wrap um, it up. This needs to be it. Four yeah. season four needs to be it. One hundo. One hundred percent. So this is where we'll, we'll leave you. And um, good luck to all you Westworld heads. Y'all know if y'all want to talk Westworld, hit us up. You can find me at Garage Guy Chase. Find Drew at Chef Boyardine. And you can hit us up collectively at GGFS Podcast. That's where you can always find us. Um, been a good show. Talked a lot of TV. Head hurts. Ready to, ready to turn this over to the people. Um, we got NASCAR last... coming out soon. Yeah, we're about to get uh, – I'm, I'm pumped. Busy. I'm pumped. We're about to go full blast back into DFS fantasy sports world. So And NFL schedule release Thursday. So, there you go. Hooray! Sports are back, baby. All right, if that's all we got, go ahead and wrap it here. We love you guys. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Tell one person today after you listen to this to check out Garage Guys Fantasy Sports. We love you, Garage Fam. Sports. Party. Repeat. It's the Garage Guys. 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 It's 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 the garage guys. It's it's the garage guys.